Do you want to start it? Or do you want me to? <laughs> you start. Okay. Welcome to the Wirelessing podcast. Just to introduce ourselves, I'm Liam Douglas and you're... I'm Barry Douglas. And you are my... Father. Yeah. We are related indeed. (laughs) But we're both musicians and it's a great way to just talk about different stories about, you know, childhood and also just being a musician, just general stories, you know, to do with travel and, you know, concerts and... Disasters. (laughs) We'll get into that. Challenges. (laughs) It's been a journey for both of us. I'm a bit further down the road than you are, Liam. But uh, it's taught us a lot about what music is and people and life and and how it all fits together. And it's taken us many different places, uh, you know, especially you and a lot of more to go. A lot more to go. It's been f- fantastic. We'll talk about the people that we've met along the way and who've helped shape the way we uh, look at music and how we practice our music and the ideas and the creativity that has been inspired by so many people. And I think it's it's fascinating our our set of people that have inspired us. Exactly. So let's get started. What would you want them to know first about you? If they didn't know who you were, which they probably... W- not many would know, but... Excuse me? Yeah, well, (laughs) just to include everybody, what would be the main thing that you would want them to know? That I'm a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I'm I'm a pianist, (laughs) and I conduct as well. I have my own orchestra, Camerata Ireland, who's an all-Ireland orchestra. Yeah. But I've been playing the piano for a very long time, and um, I tour, not during this pandemic, but hopefully very soon, although I have done a few concerts. Yeah. But I play classical music. Don't let that put you off. Um, we're actually quite cool sometimes. It's great. You know, I'm going to get to chat to my son, Liam, who's uh, traveling around based in Dublin. Uh, he's a rock guitarist. And this is our chance of catching up in a rather public way. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's good to, Not you know, anything wrong with that. compare both sides of, you know, what we do. And, you know, it's very similar in many ways, but it's also very different. And I'm more into rock and blues and folk. You know, I started out playing piano, of course, you know, because we, you know, back in Paris, we lived in Paris for a number of years and then we moved back to Northern Ireland. And if we hadn't have moved back to Northern Ireland, I wouldn't have picked up the guitar because the guitar was here. All right. In Northern Ireland. So I know you might have found someone that has a guitar and they would have... NHS. It was it was in your blood because it was yeah. in my blood, you know. It's, I mean, it I, wasn't I, a decision, I remember we, a... we tried to find a guitar teacher in Paris, and we couldn't, or I don't know if we couldn't. Maybe I didn't want to do it at that time. You were. It wasn't the right time. No, it, it just happened to be the right time when you came here. I think, but uh, I mean, certainly it's it's circumstances which lead to happenstance uh, decisions. But I think if it's in you, I mean. You can't learn music. I mean, you can learn music and do it well because there are lots of wonderful amateur musicians. But if you've got that drive and 
that comes because there's something inside you. There's an innate spark inside mm. which drives you to do that. And let's face it, you know, um, being a musician, you slug your guts out for hours every day and uh, maybe you get a couple of gigs. Yeah. You know, uh, you have to really love it. Actually, one of the things we we're talking about is we both have OCD. Well, yours is much, well, much worse than mine. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I need things to be organized. And I think it's it's not as bad as it used to be, you know, but it's really gone into music in a big way. And practicing every day, I needed to get to something, but I don't know what that is until I've, you know, I was telling you, I don't know what it is until I've done it. But then after I've done it, I, I know that I can walk away and think, okay, that was a good day of practice. And it may take an hour or even 20 minutes, but it can, you know, go up to six hours. I mean, when I started playing guitar, mom would always say, you've burnt your food, which you left in the oven because you've been up in your room playing guitar for seven hours, eight hours. And I remember she always called you because you were always away traveling and saying that he's burnt his food again. <laughs> it's on fire. <laughs> yeah, great. I used to do eight hours a day, but I don't do that anymore. Three, four hours will do. Yeah. But I don't leave anything in the oven when I go to the practice, yeah, to, to go practice. Yeah. No, I mean, it's interesting how, you know, how we start out, what what drives us to, to pick up an instrument and, and practice and, you know, and the, it's, it's easy to start an instrument, but to keep at it and to persevere. Yeah. And when you have disappointments where you feel you get nowhere to keep going and then moving to the next level, that's really tough for lots of people. Being tough for me, you know, you just have to keep redefining yourself and saying there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. I mean, in, in terms of, you know, talking about the OCD and everything, it's really helped me, you know, turn it into a positive thing where I'm so grateful and just I appreciate the fact that I, I can do I can play an instrument and just do it professionally and not have to worry that oh I need to make sure this door is closed or this drawer you know is closed because if I saw an open drawer I needed to close it or I'd be needed... watching too many Halloween movies no <laughs> or exorcists <laughs> needing to close the door or uh needing to make sure the doors are locked, which I know you do a lot, you know, with the car mm. and just yeah, the house I, I, in general. I can, I can walk away from the car three times and go back. But <laughs> And you filmed me once. We were going to Christmas lunch and uh, it was you or... Christmas or, lunch? We were going up to the bistro up in, up, up in the town. Oh, yeah. And I went back three times to check the car door. It was Christmas Eve. I was, I mean, the thieves are out much more Christmas Eve. <laughs> Yeah, just getting back into what got you into music. Was it a specific person or was it a concert, you know, that you attended or what was it? I was in elementary school in Belfast and I was, I guess, uh, four years old. Four? And they they brought us in because, you know, a teacher and two students were going to play a couple of pieces and, and we yeah. went to the gym. And they had a little grand piano and they were up on the stage with the, the curtains and everything. And we sat there on our little stools and I was mesmerised. And I, I went straight back. We used to live across the road from the school. I went straight back uh, at lunchtime and I said, Mum, I'm going to be a pianist. And we didn't have a piano. 
So the, the next door neighbors took pity and, and lent us their piano. So we hauled the upright piano into into our, our house and uh, I started playing. Wait, and, is is that the one that we still have? No, that's the, that was that's the second a... one that we have here oh, okay. that's in your room. So, I mean, I played by ear for a very long time and then um, someone said to my mother, you know, you should get him a teacher. But I could play, you know, I don't know how it happened, but I could play anything that I heard on the television. Um, that's not me, it just happened. And so I've got this fantastic teacher who was a composer as well. So I learned so much because not only how to play the piano, but how, how compositions were put together. Mm. So it was a great baptism of fire. But I was very lazy. So I never practiced. And then I went on to study other instruments because in my high school, they said, "We look, we need someone to play clarinet in our jazz band. I said, I'll do that. I'll learn the clarinet. Oh, yeah. So I learned the clarinet, the clarinet yeah. to join the jazz band. And then they said, we need a cellist for our Baroque orchestra. So I said, I'll learn the cello. So it was all crazy. I mean, I learned them all, but I really didn't play them that well. But it was fantastic education. So I didn't concentrate on the piano till I was, I guess, 16. And then I started to be serious. I practice eight hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's really interesting because my, my father met this amazing, sorry, he met this friend who talked about this amazing woman, Felicitas Lewinter, who had been a, a Jewish exile from Austria when the, when the Nazis moved into Austria. Yeah. Uh, she fled and a lot of her family went to Ireland. And she, um, they, were, they had a textile business, but she had studied with one of the last pupils of Liszt, Emil von Sauer. Yeah. So she taught me, well, the first lesson was a disaster because she said, Barry, you can't play the piano. I don't You're know what I can dreadful. do. You're dreadful. Get out. Uh, worse than dreadful. And she, she almost you know, put me outside the house. She was paying you to leave. Yeah. yeah. So I said, I'm going to prove her wrong. And so I just started practicing and practicing. And by the end of that summer, I had about 10, 12 lessons. I felt I could start to play the piano. And she was, she said, actually, you've done very well. So 16. <laughs> but I was lucky because 16 is very, very late, you know, because normally most of my colleagues have been, you know, playing transcendental studies at the age of two. Or mm. As soon as they leave the womb, they're playing these studies. So... I was very late, the age of 16. But you had already started playing the piano, so it was, it, it was in you in some way. Yeah, but the problem is with the piano, with a lot of, well, especially the piano, and also with singing with the voice, you can develop bad habits and then you can never get out of them or yeah. you do yourself damage. A lot of pianists have tendonitis and stuff like that because they're practicing wrongly. Mm. Uh, luckily, that didn't happen to me. Yeah. Touch I, wood. I know people that, that they get horrible pains in their forearms yeah. especially the left you know for a guitar and then it's a struggle for them to just keep up you know in a band or anything and you know i know someone who had to put cream on their arm oh, you know that heat you know cream yeah yeah and you know Perfect. after every rehearsal and it's just well that's not gonna last long why couldn't we be doing drugs after rehearsal i mean yeah. he's putting heat cream on his arm yeah. going home oh, to God. a cup of tea there are other solutions, by the way. Yeah, but <laughs> but I was similar in that way where when I was playing the piano, I had two piano teachers, but the second one, you know, from Northern Ireland, Carrie, she would, I wouldn't practice for a week or two. And then she would be, she would shout at me and say, you know, you need to do this. And then I would come back and I learned the whole piece and I did it just to show her. But I wasn't doing it for me. Mm. I was doing it to prove to, you know, carry that. Teacher's pet. Look, I did it. <laughs> and, you know, shove it in her face. Look, yeah. look, here's what I did. But with guitar, I never needed to do that. I mean, I never had a teacher. 
but I know you, you, you and mum got a teacher for me just to check if I was doing okay. We had to do that. There was I was doing we, we, we yeah. Were going to do some exam or something. Yeah, I was going to do grade for college. I was going to do a guitar grade, and you needed a teacher to check if I was okay. Yeah, just that you're on the right track. You weren't missing stuff. You know. Yeah. We, 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 I mean, I remember us, mummy and me, going to bed, and we'd be coming up the stairs, and and we'd poke our head in the door into your oh, bedroom, yeah. say hi, and so we'd sit down for a little guitar recital on the acoustic guitar. It was wonderful. It was better than you know having a, I don't know, a cup of herbal tea or watching the news. And I, yeah, <laughs> and I would recital. say no, and you would sit down anyway and just okay, play away. And I was no, <laughs> please leave. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, but I mean, I think there are those moments, you know, like my moment with Felicitas, with chance meeting my dad with an old friend. Yeah, there are those moments which are turning points, and mm-hmm. you you need to recognize them, and then you need to act on them. But you have to make sure that the turning point is a positive one, not a negative one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was, I had a few of those moments with guitar. I was playing piano th- all through the years and I still do, you know, uh, to this day, you know, just for certain things, you know, for writing songs or, you know, just for fun. But for guitar, it was just seeing people with an acoustic guitar just standing there and singing away, you know, you know, Noel Gallagher, you know, Oasis, I've seen him three times live, and I just thought, if he can just stand there and play guitar, I mean, how cool is that? I, I want to do that. So I, I remember I came back from, it was the Odyssey Arena in Belfast, and I, uh, you weren't, you were away uh, doing concerts at the time, but I, I told mum, you know, that's what I want to do. I mean, that's it. I mean, that's it for me. You know, that's all I want to do. That's all I care about. Mum said, well, get the finger out and do something about it. You know, yeah. I said, fine. Okay. But the moment that really pushed me to really get serious, you know, like you did, you know, at 16 was when I, I can't remember w- why I got this record, but it was, I, I wanted to, I was always collecting CDs and everything, but I started collecting vinyl records. Mm. And the only other records that I have were, you know, Mum's, you know, an old ABBA record or your Dark Side of the Moon, mm. the Pink Floyd record, which is weird for, I, I never thought you would have. Mm. But I... I, I can't, had a Jimi Hendrix as well. No. It's somewhere, somewhere on those shelves beside us here. Yeah. And also, yeah, I had... Well, no, of course, Dave, Dave Brubeck. I think I would have found it if... Yeah. It was, if, if it's, it's kind of a dark you know, picture of him on the front. Uh, I'll look for it. But I can't remember why I got this record. I think I just picked it just at random. And I, I, I put on the turntable and it was just, the first song was Whole Lot of Love. And it was just, you know, if anyone knows that song, of course, it's Led Zeppelin. And from that moment, it's just, I couldn't stop playing it. And I played it to my sister. She was here. And all her friends were here as well. I said, come in and listen to this. This is amazing. And, you know, of course, I had no you know i guess frame point to know when it came out you know when it was released and it was of course 1969 and it was led zeppelin 2 their album led zeppelin 2 and it's just from that moment it was just led zeppelin changed everything it got me into so many different avenues of music you know into eric clapton you know because they were both in bands in the 60s you know you know the yardbirds and then 
it got me into so many different things like the who and you know everything but i always came back to led zeppelin as you know that's that's what got me into it that's the real thing that i want to do well you had a chance meeting in paris with somebody didn't you yeah i met yeah. jimmy page yeah the man himself and i almost that. had a heart attack <laughs> and nobody else recognized him only you yeah, well, I said to, you know, Sorsha and Fergus, my brother and sister, we were both, we were walking around and Sorsha was away off getting money out of the wall or something. And she came back and we were about to cross the street and I said, I, I th- he looks very familiar. He looks very familiar. And if you've seen him, I'll show you a picture of him. But he has white hair, but he had it up in a, you know, a little ponytail, you know, at the back. and But he kind of looks like Beethoven, mm. weirdly you know, for, you know, a rock guitarist, you know, like that. I mean, a, but... Uh, maybe he's a reincarnation of Beethoven. I just, I maybe <laughs> he's that good. But I almost, you know, fell down and started, you know, having heart palpitations because I thought, oh my God, he's actually there. This is the real thing. And I said to Sorcha, that's the man who wrote Stairway to Heaven. I said, what? And you, you had the guts to go over and actually talk to him. Yeah, I went over to him and I, he, he's, we spoke for about 15 minutes and it was just that, I mean, that whole trip, I remember it was the three of us, you, mum and uh, me in the car and I was listening to Led Zeppelin the whole time in the back and mum would say, please turn it down because I would ha- have the, you know, the big headphones on. I said, please turn it down, it's way too loud, but. I was listening to everything that Led Zeppelin did from every album, all the live albums as well. And it's just the fact that he was there on the trip where I was listening to everything and going through it, you know, with a fine tooth comb. And it was just what, you know, a chance meeting just to, you know, say, I love your music. So, you so know? what did you say to him? And what was the I can't remember. What, I, uh, what did he say to you? I think I, I, I used the F word and then I said, oh, you're Jimmy P. Yeah, I started, you know, having an aneurysm. I was just, oh my god! No, he didn't say get away from me. You know, he, he, he we spoke for fifteen minutes. He was so sweet, and he was there with this girl. No, he was so sweet, and I, I was talking to him about, you know, I said, I know your work with the Yardbirds, and you know, obviously Led Zeppelin, but I think it's, you know, what you've done for rock music is just inconceivable. How it's impacted every single person. I, I That's the only thing I remember, but he was just, you know, so sweet and just, you know, I think I didn't ask for a picture. Sorsha said, oh, can we get a picture? You know, because she was probably thinking, you know, you want to remember this. But he said, no, sorry, just not at the moment. And um, he said, I don't do photos. He, I don't do photos. That's what yeah. he said. And I respect that. You know, I thought maybe it's because of the lawsuit at the moment, you know, with, the Sarah to Heaven, which they won, happily they won, but that was a big moment for me. Just yeah. Jimmy Page. My goodness. And the rest is history. And I came home, to, you know, I came to home to you, you know, uh, in our little studio apartment in Paris. I said, you know, you'll never believe who I met. And you thought, Woody Allen, you know, because he's always knocking about in Paris. And I said, no, Jimmy Page. And I said, who's that? <laughs> but that was a yeah. big moment. I loved it. It's amazing because I used to go to France even when I didn't live there and I was studying in London. I went with a couple of friends and our piano teacher from the Royal College of Music to go and see 
and hear this wonderful Russian pianist, Sviatoslav Richter. And we went down to Tours, to his own festival uh, just outside Tours, and it took place in a barn, a converted barn. And he played the complete Handel, the complete Bach, the complete Russian this and that, and Beethoven and everything. And it was just absolutely incredible. And so, and then I would go to all his concerts in Paris. He gave a concert once in UNESCO, very near where where we live in Paris. And uh, in London, I heard him. In New York, I heard him. And then one day he came to the college. I was there because... You know, I had got a fellowship at the Royal College of Music and he was there for a recital. And so we got to have drinks afterwards and got to chat. He was a very shy man. He didn't want to impose himself on anybody. But we were able to talk a little bit about, you know, playing the piano, Russia when he was growing up, Ireland when I was growing up. Um, We had quite a lot in in common. Fantastic person. And then I heard later, I was in France playing in a festival in the south of France, and Alain Lompèche, the uh, the critic of the Le Monde newspaper at the time, the music critic, he told me that Richter was a huge fan of mine. And I, that no is way. the most amazing thing, the most amazing compliment that anyone could have. So uh, I, I trust Alan related the story correctly, <laughs> because Alan be, then, beca- it was then, just then a he joke. became a very good friend, let's say. <laughs> That's great. It's great in Paris because, you know, you can bump into so many people. You know, I, I've seen so many filmmakers and, I mean, there are films made in our street in Paris because it's it's one of those areas. It used to be, um, before in the late 19th century, it used to be, no, mid-19th century, the abattoirs of Paris. And then they decided to get rid of those and put them out, outside Paris. And so this kind of, it's an area of maybe four blocks by four blocks yeah uh and it's all built you know early 20th century 1906 something like that all house money and usman baron usman who was the mayor at the time yeah and well he was mayor before but it's his style of building and there are very few shops in that area so there's very little traffic so it's perfect you know for filmmakers and what was the film inception that was made there outside our street yeah uh, um a bunch of French films yeah. that we later, after watch, you know, watching them years afterwards, after the fact, it were just. I think that's our street. And we we come out of the. But Inception uh, was, a yeah. big, big, was a big, big big one, yeah. and Rush Hour three. Rush Hour three. Yeah. Uh, certain parts, and we tried to. There was this big Clo-Clo. avenue, you know, where yeah, Cloclo, a French movie, and but there was this big avenue where they had set up just a few trailers for Rush Hour three. And I think it was Sorcery who got a call saying, you know, you know that I think uh, Chris Tucker is, you know, down in the street there. Do you come down and meet him, you know, and but he wasn't there, obviously. Right. They'd gone off by then. I just know that we'd come out, you know, about to get in the car and the car wasn't there. They've stolen the car, but they had these professional car movers. If you didn't move the car, they give you a couple of days' notice. If you didn't move the car, they'd move it for you. Really? Yeah, they move it around the corner into Avenue de Suffren or Avenue de, uh, Avenue de Ségur. And so we'd have to go and look for the car. We'd have to look for the guy with the keys, and then we'd have to go and look for the car. And he would tell us where the car is. It was really well documented. But they were so professional, those guys. They could clear the whole thing, especially the Clo-Clo movie. Had, they had to have had those old key, vintage your cars. keys to the car? No, he, he wouldn't have had the keys. But they just I think they just put it on a truck and put it somewhere. That's right. Is that not yeah. illegal in some way? Just, just, we're they probably have uh, permission from the 
the mayor. And in the note that they put up, I'm sure there's some kind of fine print that if you don't move your car, then they have the right to move it. I don't mm. know. But it happened yeah. three or four times. I get that. Valley parking without the fun, you know. Well, anyway, do you do any, you know, rituals before you go out on stage? You know, just little things that keep you right. Yeah, you I know? swear. As I don't know if that's OCD, but. Um, no, the only thing I used to wear special lucky socks and stuff like that. But no, I don't. Because if someday you can't, you know. Oh, if you can't. Have, yeah, if you haven't yeah, got your yeah. lucky charm symbols, you know, and then you you, you go, go to pieces. No, but. but See, I, that's why I thought, you know, you in know. terms of counting numbers when I, what I used to do count numbers and make sure I get to the right number but I always thought if I can't get to that number and not feel good about it it's going to really piss me off yeah I think you're worse than that so, no. <laughs> well that, that you know it's all in the guitar now so it's it's all in that instrument so um I, I know I'm going to get it every day and you know whatever it is I don't know but once I do it's fine you know well, I uh, I read this book. But I'm uh, happy to keep playing. But I read this book. Uh, Melvin Bragg uh, wrote about Richard Burton, and Richard Burton told him a story about Laurence Olivier. Yeah. In the National Theatre in London, and it was it was the one with the proscenium arch and the curtains. So maybe it was the older National Theatre, maybe it was the old Vic. I can't remember. Anyway, before the audience would be in, the curtains were closed, and before he went out on stage, before the whole play started, he would go to the to the edge of the stage, behind the curtain. Yeah. And he would swear at the audience. You know, he didn't hate Not the audience. Not loud. No, no, no. Just mulling well, it, just... They, they would have heard because they're talking and everything. Yeah. And it was his way of kind of girding his loins and making sure and, you know, getting into gear. Yeah. So he had that kind of aggression, this pent-up energy about to burst and explode. And then he said, OK, curtains. And then he would come out and be magnificent. So I, I took that, I took my lead from him. So I, I swear a lot as I walk on. Uh, I have to be careful in case the person just said, "Okay, Mr. Douglas, away you go." You know, in case they hear me. Mm. But uh, there's a lot of uh, f words and other words, and then I feel good. So that's pretty sick. I know. We who was it that told you? Oh, there's nothing like walking out on stage knowing that you have the cash in hand in your pocket. Yeah, I can't well, remember. in your jacket pocket, is that what he said? Or you know, feeling it up against your body, you know, or what was it? Yeah, yeah. I know that um, Rostropovich, uh, the great Russian cellist, he used to live in Paris. And he he was also a conductor. I used to work with him a lot in Washington. Uh, he was music director there. And he would say that he loved going to France because he would do lots of recitals around, you know, in the, in the festivals. Yeah. But he said he needed to have the, the cash in his breast pocket because it made him feel more comfortable as he walked on stage. <laughs> So he'd be walking out with these bulging breast pockets, you know, in his inside breast pockets, inside jacket pockets with all this cash, and then he would play like a god. And it worked. And now it's all bank transfers. It's so boring. <laughs> Just beep, beep. Oh, damn. Yeah. Got the money, though. Yeah. It's good to get it early. Yeah. Especially in these days. <laughs> no, but but that's the great thing about being a musician, because, I mean, there's a blip on the screen at the moment with the with the virus, but... Because things aren't open, but knowing you're you're doing something that you adore and actually mm. you're going to earn a living from it, it's really amazing. And we'll get to it in a bit. But your orchestra, which you started in '98, I mean, uh, what was, what made you want to do that? I mean, 99. you did a live stream instead of the actual you know festival this year, but yeah, which was great. 
Well, the thing was, it, um, in 98 was the Good Friday Agreement that we're all talking about again because mm -hmm. of the Brexit thing. And the Good Friday Agreement was incredible because over 70% of the whole island, north and south, no matter what background you came for, from, voted for it. So it was a real democratic uh, mandate. So I said to myself and said to some friends, look, when you think of people like Paderewski, who was Prime Minister of Poland, he was a great pianist. You think of Václav Havel in mm. Czechoslovakia, now Czech Republic. I'm, I'm, I'm saying, yeah, I've known these people. Yeah, I no, don't but know Havel was brilliant, people. you know, and he was an amazing playwright. We artists should do something, you know, we're not going to create peace. We don't have the, the means to do that, but we can, we can if, if politicians get it right or get it wrong, we can comment. You know, and so I said we should applaud because the politicians actually got it right in this occasion, and peace is now you know, about to break break free mm -hmm. on the island of Ireland. And so I said, let's do two gala concerts with musicians from both sides of the border, from Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. It had never been done before. Yeah, and I just thought we'll call it Camerata Ireland, which is you know camaraderie. It's a friends getting together. We did a concert in Belfast in the Parliament, and Dublin Castle in Dublin. Uh, on consecutive nights in 1999. And that's all you were going to do? That's all we were going to do. And suddenly we and were invited. What happened. We were invited, Jean Kennedy Smith, the ambassador, and she invited us to our festival at the Kennedy Center in Washington the following year. And then we got a big US tour. We got a rave reviews. And so mm. we're still going 22 years later. Not about bad. to be 22. Yeah. yeah. And then we formed a festival as well, Clandy Boy Festivals every August. It'll be twenty years old next year. So it's it's been a great it's been a roller coaster ride, but the musicians have been fantastic. You know, it hasn't been like work, it's just been like getting together and making music on front of great audiences around the world, you know. We've been all over the place. And uh, we've commissioned young composers. We try to encourage a lot of young musicians to come on board yeah. and young composers to write for us. We're going to get a fantastic composer from Derry to write for us for the 20th anniversary in Clandy Boy this year, Sean Doherty. It's just been amazing. I mean, I'm a pianist. I'm, I'm not really a conductor, but I direct them. And um, I've got a great you know, concertmaster leader, Mike Darcy. And, you know, he and I work together and decide programs. And it's just been great. It's been, you know, another kind of dimension. You know, being a pianist or a conductor is exactly the same thing because you're, yeah. you're just making music. I mean, it's your version of a band. Yeah, yeah essentially. Exactly, yeah. And the great thing is they know me so well and I know them so well. Is rehearsals are dead easy. Yeah. Because they listen and they collaborate. You know, yeah, you know what yeah. they're going to do and you're just happy to say, you know what to do. You do, do this. Yeah. yeah. If the first oboe or the first flute change a little bit how they do a solo, everybody just falls into line. Or if I do a little bit of rubato where I play around with the rhythm and the phrasing a little bit suddenly... Yeah. off the cuff spontaneously they're there right with me if i suddenly get very soft at a very poignant moment in the music they get very soft as well it, they don't have to be you know directed to do that yeah they just go with the whole mood and and the, the atmosphere and the and the camaraderie in the room it's I funny that, our, our yeah. first our first trip to italy we did a fantastic tour of italy and we started out in in palermo and so we were chatting and they said why did you call it camerata I said, because we're all friends. I said, you know, Camerata uh, oh, no. was the inner circle of Mussolini. Oh. <laughs> no, I didn't know that, but we're not, there's no inner circles in us. Well, it's all one circle anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's no, great. It's great fun. 
No, but I love that too. I've played in many different bands and I've, you know, played for singers for, you know, radio and, um, you know, even the Late Late Show, which we'll talk about in a later episode, you know, because that's a story of its own. But just that moment where you want to bring the song down and then you know that, you know, the drummer will bring it down. And I play it with a band, you know, Becky and the Keys, which I love at the moment. And we're meant to record, you know, it got postponed a few times, but it's going to be in the new year. And it's just that moment where you know that, you know, your bandmates are going to catch you when you want to do something. And it's just, it's a great moment to just think, oh, yes, you know, this is, you know, good friends. And yeah. And it's gratifying in a mm. way, you know, and just reassuring that, you know, know that these people have your back. And it's just, mm. if I'm going to do this, they're going to be right there with me. Yeah, it's always it's so much fun. Friends, friends are really important. If, if you've got a colleague, yeah. a friend, and a band, and we weren't friend friends before. It went back in the keys. I, I've started bands with friends, and then later on, we all fell out. But started being friends again after that, and thinking, oh, maybe not. Let's try, not try to be a band again. I had really bad fallouts with people, but. It's, it's like lovers who fall out, you know, let's just well, be yeah, friends, they, it just doesn't work. I've had people take it, you know, as if it's, you know, I, I was cheating on them or something, but. Mm. Well, but I think. Back in the case, we, you know, we did both at the same time where I, Beck, I knew Becky uh, through someone else and she said, you know, just come over and play. So I did, I, I came from Dublin all the way up to Belfast and I was going to, yeah, that's sort of like Camerata where, you know, even though I lived down in Dublin, you know, we were coming together like Camerata Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. But I came in and, you know, I just played, you know, I think for 20 minutes and then they said, can you please join? You know, I said, okay. Great. <laughs> please. Yeah. Thank you. And I was so happy to do it. And it was just, oh, I love it so much. Love it so much, you know, and just to get to write songs, you know, like Jimmy Page would and not, you know, copying or anything, but just to emulate his playing in some ways and just, it's good fun. It's good fun. Yeah, brilliant. I don't tend to write much music, but I'm determined to do more. I've written a few things. You don't want to hear them. <laughs> but we, another thing, it's the new year, you know, when this episode is coming out, it's the new year. And so happy new year to the listeners, but also yeah, happy just, new year. Um, Don't make any resolutions. I was just about to ask you, have you ever made a resolution and kept it? Uh, no. No? <laughs> ever. I've made the resolutions and never kept them. No, I mean, people talk about dry January or they're going to lose weight or they're going to read a book or something. Yeah. Just go with the flow. I think uh, it's important just to be yourself, at, especially at this time. You know, don't knock yourself around. I think it's important just to live your life. A lot of people are suffering, but hopefully we'll get through all of this and we'll move on. And let's regroup on the other side. And certainly we'll have some more escapades to talk about maybe next episode. Yeah. In yeah. the next episode, we'll be talking about, you know, a lot of, you know, different travel stories. We we have noted them down. Mm. We have some very good ones, uh, some very bad ones. <laughs> Soon the travel will be coming back and it'll be absolutely... Uh, and we'll absent. have more to tell then, yeah. but uh, different concert stories. I know you have a few which are particularly funny 
and uh, I have one or two I'm which tragic. are very disastrous. You know, me falling off stage, which I haven't told you yet, but I'll tell you about that. Pedals falling off my piano. Yeah, but we'll get into all of that and uh, many other things and maybe ghost stories because I know you have a few. Ghost stories, Just yes. If the well, listeners would want to know about phantoms, they're not too squeamish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward. Great to chat. So thanks for listening. And this was the Wirelessing podcast. We, we should say what Wirelessing is. Maybe we'll tell them Wirelessing. next time. We'll tell them next time. But uh, thanks for listening and please leave a like and just leave questions if you have any questions. Yeah. Like Let us know, know what you think. Specific to music or just uh, and like us, us if you Like us, like us, like us. Yeah, please <laughs> like us. But uh, if you have any friends, if you're listening and you have any friends that play music and they might be interested in this, just uh, send them over to this podcast. Yeah, if you need to know about classical music, ask Liam and rock music, you ask me. Well, (laughs) I don't know about that. I need to tell you, I need to educate you in a lot of it. But uh, that's what the podcast is for. So thank you so much for listening and see you next time. See you next time.